It is time once again for another edition of the BitMart Brain Trust, where we convene some of the smartest minds in BitMart to do the talk speak things about some of the biggest issues in crypto and NFTs. And this is part three of a, as of now, three-part series about the impending Ethereum merge. And oh. the, the merge is coming soon, gentlemen. And the gentlemen I'm speaking to are Nathan Simone and Kalichi Ebay. They are two of my colleagues here at BitMart. You know, Nathan from the Daily Crypto Watch and Crypto Conversations, and you know Kalichi from, well, unless you work in search engine optimization, you know him from this show, <laughs> or you're just his cousin Carl. If you are cousin Carl, what's good? But gentlemen, last week I was a bit under the weather, uh, and you guys handled the conversation. Uh, I'm back, but also this conversation kind of out of my depth. Uh, but this week we're talking about misconceptions about the merge. I know that one thing, Nathan, uh, that we wanted to talk about was staking. Now, do you do you need 32 ETH to stake for the Ethereum merge, or is there an actual number of ETH that you need to prepare yourself for this Y2K level event in the crypto world? That's an interesting way to put it, a Y2K level event. It is kind of like that. I hadn't thought about that. There are people that are freaking out, and then there are people that are praising the heavens that the Ethereum merge is happening. I can see Kalichi smiling there behind his camera because he knows. That's right, Kalichi, and Carl probably knows too. <laughs> but I was, I was just dead wrong about this. Even I, a crypto savant. Uh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> definitely not a crypto savant. Um, even I was mistaken that I was like, man, you're going to need 32 ETH to stake. And that, in my mind, was immediate centralization. But we are pulling here from ethereum.org, from the merge document, straight from the source, going through one by one the misconceptions about the merge. And you know what the first one is, Kalichi? It is misconception. Running a node requires staking 32 ETH completely false. Anyone is free to sync their own self-verified copy of Ethereum, i.e. running a node. No ETH is required. Not before the merge, not after. Not ever. Thoughts, Kalichi? Thoughts, Matt? I mean, that's good. I mean, that's that that helps. Uh, that makes it, again, um, you know, makes it easy you know to for anybody to be able to participate it's good that there's not like this huge barrier of you know having 32 ETH which is a lot of money even with the current like markets you know downturn uh in order to be able to secure the network to uh to further uh decentralization so it's good that uh you know anybody can you know have use the computer uh get a copy of the ethereum network uh, on the computer uh AKA running the node and be able to secure the network that way. So, yeah. But I'll tell you what, Kalichi, it's bad for me because I took out uh, eight different personal loans trying to get to 32 <laughs> ETH. And once I found this out, I was like, can I sell it back? Can I give it to somebody? Can I be my own exchange? Help! <laughs> um, no, I'm good. I'm I, good. I, I would actually use the Nathan exchange. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't be Graham Cracker Coin, which is my 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 personal coin, but it would be Nate oh. Nate, Nate Coin. Nate Coin would be a, I, I would buy some Nate Coin. Well, and the way that the Nathan Exchange usually works is you call me up on the phone, uh, you designate the fast food restaurant of your choice, 
and we meet there and then we play with our phones and maybe I buy you a cheeseburger or two and hopefully you end up with the amount of ETH required, but the transaction fees are quite high. Uh, so probably not going to probably not going to be competing with uh, Kraken and all them anytime soon. But what do you think, Matt? I mean, this is like, this is basically saying that the everyman can stake their ETH, participate in the second largest crypto network on the globe, other than Bitcoin, and, you know, uh, validate transactions, reduce energy consumption, still, you know, help people run their smart contracts. It is... It's almost like the ultimate level of participation in a weird way. I guess I just kind of thought of that. It's very, a word that in finance scares the living daylights out of people. It is very socialist for them to do that. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I feel like this is one of the interesting bugaboos about cryptocurrency, about the decentralized weaponized industry because this we talk about decentralization but we're seeing this merge happen and we're seeing somewhat of a governance over this blockchain we're seeing it move from proof of work to proof of stake which completely inverts the economy and i think that it's going to create some interesting arguments and we're already seeing that kind of break out and you guys have talked about that already on the show but not yeah if you're allowing not just the elites to get you know to benefit from the merge or to protect themselves or to stake themselves in the merge you're kind of doing your job and i don't know if they should be applauded or lauded for it or just like hey cool you didn't completely screw over everybody right it's yeah, yeah it's it, again it goes back to the the the, why, the reason why cryptocurrency and blockchain is such a revolutionary um, piece of, you know, invention or technology is that, you know, anybody can, you know, can participate and and earn rewards. Like if this was, you know, in the traditional like sense, uh, this would be something that like the the Googles or the Amazons of the world would kind of be responsible for. But, you know, with blockchain technology and, you know, in this case, you know, securing the network, it is it is good that anybody can be able to to participate regardless of where you live, regardless of your geographical location. You can be in Africa and you can be running a node, further decentralizing the network, earning rewards, and uh, yeah, anywhere, anywhere in the world, and you can be a part of it. Yeah, now you can be a part of it for uh, far less energy consumption. So that's always good on your electricity bills. I know that you can technically also run a Bitcoin node. Um, anybody can run a Bitcoin node like that, but the, I mean, the Bitcoin blockchain is uh, many, many gigabytes of data at this point. Didn't you, and if you share want to one mine... the other day on social media? And I don't mean to cut you off, but on Crypto Nathan seventy six, or or was this on LinkedIn, where there was a Bitcoin node being run on a Game Boy? Or did I dream that? <laughs> oh no, 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 that's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's so we should differentiate between mining and a node. A node is just validating transactions and having a copy of the ledger, um, which is mm-hmm. much, much less energy intensive than mining. Bitcoin mining, I mean, you have to do in like a factory specialized environment. That's why they're moving over to these places where there's cheap, renewable, or in some cases would be otherwise wasted electricity because it takes so much electricity to go through the hashing algorithm to create new Bitcoin. But yes, technically I've wanted to do this forever and I just haven't gotten around to it. 
technically you can use a Raspberry Pi, uh, which is a teensy tiny little computer, and you can run a Bitcoin node on there to validate your transactions, to make sure that you have the updated copy of the ledger. And that is essentially what somebody was doing with the Game Boy. The main thing that would trip you up is you'd need the storage. Like I said, it's many, many, many gigabytes now that the Bitcoin blockchain is. I'm not sure what it is, um, I'd just love to know how they rigged up that Game Boy to have enough storage to have a copy. So, but yeah, that was true. You did not dream that. And for me, when it comes to the idea that this currency is being built and it's never, it's always expanding the, the lines of code, the, the amount of space it takes up. What do you do? after the merge when or if there's a storage war when proprietary space becomes a problem because as everyone knows you know storage is more affordable than ever for you know hard drives and portable assets and things like that but will we get to a point to where ethereum or bitcoin's code becomes so vast and so heavy that you can't sustain it on traditional computers or the traditional mining machines. Is that an actual problem? Is that something that we'll run into? And it may seem like a stupid question, but, you know, things have capacity. Things reach capacity, and we see that in the current economy we're in, which is why we're teetering on the brink of or in the midst of, depending on who you talk to, a recession or an economic downturn. Would something like that precipitate another crash or another strike in value? Because it feels like the value of non-fungible assets, the the cryptos and NFTs, are all predicated on either speculation or pure value, and it wavers back and forth. And adoption of Bitcoin is the canary in the coal mine. It's the bellwether for the entire industry, and we're still getting there. Does the adoption and adaption of Ethereum and these other coins need to happen faster for them to survive and kind of outpace these situations? Or are we at reaching an inevitability at some point that we're all kind of waiting out to see how big this gets and how screwed we all might be. Great, <laughs> I've got an answer for this, but I'm, I'm interested in your uh, answer before I do a quick one and we go on to the next misconception. Um, <clears throat> I don't think there's going to be that, sh- that much, of, much of a problem in terms of, you know, being too big i think the way you know the the bitcoin blockchain and even the ethereum blockchain how it was set up it was set up to essentially never go down um zero like ethereum like it's it's supposed to like zero downtime even even with this merge you know going from proof of work to proof of stake is going to be zero downtime and when it comes to and that's another thing why uh, this like proof of stake is so important now is because like you're not just dependent on one you know a central um, entity to to manage all the the storage the data you 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 basically you distributing all that to like millions of, of of computers millions of nodes using data from all kinds of places so it's not it's not something that is dependent on a single point of failure in this case uh, it's something that will 
continue to work as long as people continue to, you know, you know, validate, you know, you know, uh, the network um, and validate transactions, it's still gonna, it's just gonna continue to run. Um, it's just the, the the moving to proof of stake now is gonna even make it even better in terms of the use the the user experience uh, and even making things like you know the transaction you know become faster when they introduce things like sharding, which you know also you know will will kind of remove um, a lot of I guess you know dependency on the layer one Ethereum to using things like layer two to offload transactions to make it faster. So it's 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 built in such a way that like there's there's not gonna be a future problem in terms of like adoption and scalability. It's all gonna it's all gonna work out. And it really is an excellent question, Matt. It's definitely not a stupid question at all. I've just got a little bit of trivia here for us. Um, right now, the Bitcoin blockchain is 400 gigs of data, and it adds about five to ten per month. So that's quite a lot of data. But um, if you enable pruning or some uh, some sort of data reduction measures that don't compromise on security, you can get it down to as little as six gigabytes total. So the Bitcoin um, network, just like Ethereum, it has some of the world's brightest developers on it, and they're continually thinking about these problems. To right. answer your question really briefly, um, wanted to correct you also one second. You said non-fungible assets. NFTs are non-fungible assets, but Bitcoin and Ethereum, perfectly fungible. One Ethereum is worth one Ethereum and one Bitcoin is worth one Bitcoin. I, I, so I, I, meant, to, I meant to not say that. I just got caught <laughs> up in it because I'm, I'm very dumb, guys. This is He's all the NFT year. guy too. Yeah. He's the NFT guy. So <laughs> I, I know that that's, that's what's in there. I think that the if you were to ask, like say we had somebody from the Bitcoin or Ethereum development team on right now, they would say, well, these assets are going to be so uniquely and widely adopted that not only do we not care if the data uh, gets up to 15 quadrillion, but that when Bitcoin is adopted as a world reserve currency, every government is going to have a copy of the ledger. Every nonprofit organization is going to have a copy of the ledger. There's going to be so many copies of the ledgers and they're going to be so decentralized that not only will nobody be able to change it or mess around with it, uh, but you'll be able to get sections here or there. It will be like, you know, uh, it would it would be like how it's impossible to not have a complete copy of the Bible because it's one of the most pop, uh, published books in history. It's just it would be impossible to to not find a copy of it. But also to wrap this up, um, Ethereum has thought about this, and if you read the new headlines uh, these days, because it's transitioning to proof of stake and will not require all this mining equipment, they are thinking about going into cloud computing to do a lot of this validation. So. Mm. That presents its own problems with like, well, what if all the cloud computing is done by Amazon? Yeah, why would you want to Google? do Google? It's just some people, some people are going to validate through cloud computing, but that gets your question, Matt, of like these cloud computing centers have quadrillions and bajillions, mm -hmm. gigabytes, uh, terabytes worth of data. So it is a question that's being thought of, most definitely not a dumb question. Um, and no. thank you for bringing it up because it segues perfectly into the next mis the next misconception. Since we're talking about size, scope, fees here, the a big misconception is that the merge is automatically going to reduce gas fees on the Ethereum network. Mm. Not true at all. People think that once the merge happens, they'll be able to go on to OpenSea and what <laughs> used to cost them $30 to send an NFT, they'll be like, Oh, now it'll be 30 pennies. Thank you, merge. <laughs> right, right, right. That and they'll be like they'll be disappointed 
especially <laughs> yeah especially if that if there's a huge demand is huge surge again in terms of like network network activity the prices the price of gas uh, of uh, the gas fees are going to go up again it's not going to change and that that would cost a lot of people like oh i, I thought the merge was supposed to make the gas fee uh, gas fees cheaper well no 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 Hey, man, I thought that the merge was like some sort of weird stimulus package. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Straight from Ethereum itself, again, false. The merge is just a change of the consensus mechanism, not an expansion of network capacity, capacity. and will yeah. not result in lower gas fees. To your point, Kalichi, the merge is actually popularizing Ethereum so much. It's in the news every single day that in the short term, you should expect Ethereum fees to probably go through the roof right after, <laughs> right after the merge concept. They're already a little bit high because people are buying and selling. They're trying to buy and sell the news here, but just, you know, you have to get it out there. Sorry, the merge is not going to do anything about the gas fees in the short term. In the long term, because right. we're transitioning to proof of stake on this network, it's going to open up opportunities to expand the network, have more space, and that will eventually reduce fees. Even the Ethereum Foundation, their estimate on that is many months to many years. So right. in the short term, Ethereum gonna Ethereum, high <laughs> fees are the rule of the land. That's just what comes with it, right? You know that right. when you play this game. You want a low fee network, maybe you should use Cardano. But <laughs> we're not talking about that here. We're talking about Ethereum. Matt, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, the price of gas is going down. Price of strawberries are going down. I got a bunch of strawberries for like $2. Ooh. What? The merge? The merge can't reduce fees? Come on, Vitalik. I think that you're... I think they're trying to remain with a level of normalcy. And sure. they're not trying to drop the fees all too much because it's still going to cost energy to prop up these transactions, to prop up the code. I would not necessarily call them gas fees anymore. I would just call them a tax. They're a sales tax. That's what they are essentially. For every transaction you make, it's essentially a sales tax. You're That's selling X for Y mm -hmm. at, at the set value, but for the work of, you know, it's not, we're not at the point to where you can make a one-to-one -one transaction. And also, you know, when you do a currency exchange, it does it's not one-to-one. -one. This in, in, you know, when you do USDT, you're not getting all of that. You, you're not cashing out all of that USDT. It's essentially a tax. You're, you're, you're doing an income tax. You're doing a service fee, basically. Like when you buy a ticket through Ticketmaster or a different ticket vendor, you're basically, it's a fee. They're doing all the processing, all the forms, all the work, all the agita, you're getting the thing on the other side and you're getting it at an expedient rate. So I would consider that to be a service charge. I'm not a fan of that because, you know, I want all of my money. Give me all of my money. <laughs> I paid for it. It is mine. But it's the it's a CBD, cost of doing business. CDB, sorry. Cost of doing business. That is, that is actually super interesting. I hadn't thought about it like that. Because another analogy is that the merge is like going from a gas combustion vehicle, which requires, you know, literal gas and tremendous amounts um, of, of physical material to combust and make all that go. And then if you have cheap electricity, if you have the same thing of an electric vehicle with an electric motor, it's far more efficient. So that is, that's interesting. Um, it would be like, you're right, the sales tax that you would pay on if you were going to the electric charging station. Huh. Let me add, yeah. So <clears throat> to that point, it's it's so 
it's what it's what makes blockchain fascinating, right? Because the sales tax that you know Matt is referring to, it is an incentive, is an incentive that is tied to the blockchain. So yes. you know, mm-hmm. with the proof of work, you know, those you know um, sales tax like goes to the mi- uh, used to go to the miners. But now it will go to like validators in proof of stake. And th- that is why, you know, now if you can be a part like Matt, like if you if you if you join, you know, if you're running the uh, a node on your computer and you're earning like APY, 7% APY, um, you know, back, you know, to you, um, you know, that's that is the, that's the entire incentive of the entire like blockchain uh, ecosystem uh, for Ethereum. Fine, you're paying the tax, but you know, you're also earning by participating in the network, you know, so you're actually earning money, you know, you know, as opposed to that, you know, money going to the government or going to a central, you know, server somewhere, it's distributed um, like amongst everybody, you know, so that's, that's another, another fascinating thing um, about it. Well, yeah. And now since you don't, since now that we know, since I've been humbly corrected and, you know, I'm happy to be corrected, especially when I'm just objectively wrong. Now that you don't need 32 ETH, uh, these staking pools, you would get like a micro percentage of this tax uh, for being part of a validating pool. So that mm-hmm. that's another interesting way, kind of an incentive there. Um, you know, Matt, another suggestion, if you want to keep all of your money and use the hardest money ever invented, you might be interested in the Lightning Network via Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin. But once again, this show is not about that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to our third misconception. Transactions will be noticeably faster after the merge. This is kind of a, um, a piggyback off of what mm-hmm. we just talked about with gas Similar. fees. Mm-hmm. False. Although some slight changes will exist, transaction speed will mostly remain the same. And this is because we're dealing with Ethereum layer one. one. Yeah. Similar to Bitcoin layer one, which Bitcoin does seven transactions a second, I believe. I think Ethereum improves on that with, it's either 10 or 14. 15, yeah, I think it was 15. 15, okay, well, I'm just wrong all day today. No, yeah, you're right, 14 to 15, like, yeah, you're right, the ballpark. it's It's a little bit more. You're dealing with the layer one technology. This is the proprietary technology. Now, will somebody build the equivalent of the Lightning Network on Ethereum? I have to believe that that will happen. Uh, I guess you could say, Kalichi, and correct me if I'm wrong again here, um, that some of the DeFi protocols and some of the other coins are, in essence, de facto layer twos on Ethereum that try to use less fees, and then they eventually settle on the Ethereum network. But Mm -hmm. there's nothing, to my knowledge, tell me if I'm wrong, to my knowledge, there's nothing like the Lightning Network on Ethereum yet, because even the Lightning Network is essentially brand new on Bitcoin. It's not really, but it might as well be because it has such it has such non-mass adoption at the moment. Yeah, there, there actually are some layer like layer twos uh, in you know in Ethereum um, in Ethereum. So you have um, things like Polygon. Um, uh, there's another one called uh, Arbitrum, Optimism. Uh, those 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 use like layer two um, tech, uh, zk rollup technology. Like I don't I don't want to get into the weeds of it, but essentially, uh, what that would that that they they still use like the layer one. They still uh, the transaction still settles like in, uh, in layer one, but you know it um, 
it kind of takes away uh, that uh, capacity, that's you know requirement for from layer one to the layer two network uh, to make those transactions like faster. Uh, so, for example, on, with Polygon or Arbitrum, like the transaction is a lot faster, you know, because it's in the, it's a layer two. They're layer two protocols, um, and the, the transaction fees are also very very cheap as well. So there are those things that are they're currently there right now, like Poly, like I said, Polygon, Arbitrum, Optimism, um, they're there. But what I think Ethereum will naturally uh, naturally grow to is the layer one itself will be um, will be um, I guess upgraded to be faster eventually. Um, I mean that that's 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 my guess, but I think that's what's going to happen because right now. Like Polygon and those other play players, they're currently doing that, and in a way that they're, they're kind of taking market share away from you know, well, not a lot of people are fans of it, but eventually Ethereum will will have to find a way to uh, solve that problem. Yeah, and as you said, zk rollups. I was trying to think about what is the difference between a zk rollup and the breakfast rollup that I've tried to make many a time <laughs> with bacon and eggs in the morning. One is an incredibly useful technology and the second is just me shuffling through life. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, like, like we've said, I think we've said this five times already on the show, Kalichi uh, and Matt, the, <laughs> you've got some of the smartest developers in the world, uh, some of them working for almost for free. Uh, one, because they're rich in Ethereum and two, just because coders gonna code um, on the Bitcoin and Ethereum networks. So. To say that they're not going to come up with a uh, solution to this at some point, I think is, that would be pretty doom and gloom. Um, there's there's going to be some way that as they continually expand the network, it is not only will the gas fees drop, it will get a little bit faster on the layer um, twos, uh, not to um, a proprietary layer two that Ethereum is probably, the Ethereum foundation is going to build. But yes, to mm -hmm. your point, Kalichi, we've already had Polygon and stuff like that too. And and just like Bitcoin, you know, rabid community, lots of outside people building stuff on top of this main chain. So we could be, I mean, we could be weeks away from somebody introducing, you know, the version of Lightning on Ethereum. We could be six years away. We just have no idea to think about this. I, I have to believe that somewhere hidden in the news, because it's not very sexy to talk about, uh, somebody is developing this. Somebody like Jack Maulers, who did you know strike and did, does lightning development on Bitcoin. There's a Jack Maulers of Ethereum who's Absolutely. trying to totally, totally just develop this lightning stuff. You just don't hear about it because Felix steals the show. Yeah, and and vitally, um, like he actually said that you know Ethereum will eventually scale to like a hundred thousand transactions per second. Um, wow. So yeah, so that is you know from fifteen transactions per second to a hundred thousand. You know, of course, again, that would, uh, that would require first Ethereum going to proof of stake and then sure. they introduce sharding and all that kind of stuff uh, to make the, the network faster. Um, so, but all that will obviously will not happen immediately. It will happen, you know, down the line, like maybe six, 12, even more a year, two years down the line, but eventually it will be faster and cheaper. 
That is quite ambitious. 15 to 100,000. That's like me mm -hmm. going from the way I am right now, which, um, you know, I like the way I look. I think I'm pretty fit. But it, like, is there such a thing as uh, 40 pack abs? Could I have 40 pack <laughs> abs? I th I, we're uh, working on that technology. But gentlemen, speaking of faster and cheaper, next week is allegedly when the merge is supposed to happen. So I say next week we reconvene and we have ourselves a merge party. And by merge party, I mean we want you listening and watching this podcast and we'll alert the BitMart social media team. Best questions. We want questions. We will give you answers. Those will be our topic next week here on The Brain Trust. We will entrust you, the audience. As we talk you through the merge, the merge will happen allegedly in seven days from when this episode drops. It drops on Thursday, the 8th. So on the 8th, we are going to ask you guys in the comments or on social media to let us know what you think is going to happen in the merge. Give us your predictions. Give us your questions. We will count down to the merge and we'll pour a drink and celebrate the Ethereum merge next week here on the program. But gentlemen, final thoughts before we mosey along. Well, Matt, um, I still do want that 40 pack. Um, we're working on that technology. We've still got a couple misconceptions to go through here, but you know, the, uh, it, it's interesting that you say it's happening seven days from now. It's here. This is almost like being in a courtroom and using the word allegedly. <laughs> okay, right? <laughs> uh, I have full confidence in Vitalik Buterin and the Ethereum team, just like I do in Bitcoin core developers, especially guys that have been around. Mostly guys, but there's some badass women in there too um, that have been doing this for years at this point, and they are hardcore coders. Here's the thing that I think is so funny, Matt, that you brought up. You brought up this is like a Y2K event, remember? Anybody who is not old enough to remember Y2K, it was when they were afraid that all the computers, which they coded with two date codes, you know, 78, 81, 99, when it switched over to four for the year 2000, the world was going to implode and we were all going to die. And, uh, you know, rainbow sherbet ice cream was going to taste like mud or something like that. Nothing really happened. Uh, I've actually looked at the history of the Y2K and there's like regionally, you see like some stuff did shut down because they just had really, really terrible technology. But like the banks didn't go down, the military did not go out in nuclear war, things like that. The merge has the possibility to do the same thing. I mean, it's in the news. We've been talking about it for three episodes. It could be crazy, right? We've talked, we just said this, Kalichi. You could go on OpenSea. Let's say it happens, you know, as planned on the 13th or the 16th. You could go on OpenSea and it is not out of the realm of possibility that the merge makes Ethereum so popular that gas fees are in the multi-hundreds or multi-thousands of dollars. There's, right. it, that could happen. It's improbable that that will happen. Uh, but it, it, it could happen. It could also scare people away so much that on the eve of it, you could be on OpenSea at 3 a.m. in the morning hunting for deals and you go, oh, sweet, my gas fee is $3.01. <laughs> and I just got this bored ape, you know, it's on the Ethereum network, it's on the main chain. Right. We just don't know. We're going to have to continually pay attention to it. This sure. is... Um, I, I think gonna... we should... I think we could just like briefly just go just go through all the other misconceptions without actually going deep into them individually, just so the, the audience is aware in case we don't come back to the topic. I think I think no, well we'll do that next week. We'll do that as a we'll do the part two of misconceptions and okay. then we'll okay. run through all of that. 
Um, well, actually, wait, Matt. We we can't we can't because unfortunately the merge is supposed to happen next week. Oh, that's and right. I, I, that's right. I promised this video as a three pack to the social media team. So I think actually, Kalichi, we're we've gone a good deep dive on the main like social points. We don't have to do a super deep dive on these next ones because they're kind of technical. But I will read through them and I'll ask either one of you for a comment if you want it. Because I think we've got one, two, we've got like four more left. But like I said, they're kind of technical. They're really just for the hardcore ethers, but they are misconceptions mm -hmm. nonetheless. Yeah. So I'll get through them real quick. And then Kalichi or Matt, I'll ask you to chime in if you want to. And then we'll wrap it up because we've really hit on the main four. I think we just did three or four. I'm going to say four we really hit on the main points that people are freaking out about. So as long as we got through those with your lovely commentary, gentlemen, that's all that I really care about. However, I do want to finish up the list. Sound good? Yep. Sounds good. All righty. Next misconception. You can withdraw staked ETH once the merge occurs. False. Staking withdrawals are not yet enabled with the merge. The following Shanghai upgrade will enable staking withdrawals. Kalichi, real quick. Do you have any idea what the Shanghai upgrade is? I'm still kind of confused on that. And does it make you a little bit nervous that you might not be able to withdraw staked ETH when you want to? Not really. I mean, coming directly from the from from ETH, the Ethereum developers said this is going to take uh, six to twelve months in order for you to be able to withdraw. So everybody should just have that expectation and not you know think it's going to happen immediately. Yeah. It's, I tend to get kind of nervous when any asset of mine is locked up when I don't have access to it. But I also, I understand that there is reasonable precautions for things. And so they said the Shanghai upgrade is going to take six months or so. Not, you know, not too crazy. Um, so that's a little bit of more of a technical one. It depends on what you're using for UXUI if you're even going to be staking ETH, right? right. So the next one kind of goes even a little bit deeper into that. Validators will not receive any liquid ETH rewards till the Shanghai upgrade when withdrawals are enabled. False. Fee tips and MMEV will be credited to a mainnet account controlled by the validator available immediately. So this is almost, this flips the other misconception on its head. Validators are going to get the ETH rewards, but let's make this distinction really quick. Validators are the people that either have a pool or they've got, you know, 32 ETH uh, that are validating the transactions. And the people that are staking, that could be anybody from, you know, me with my humble 31 ETH to Matt with his, you know, 0.1 ETH or you, Kalichi, <laughs> with your 4,874 ETH. So <laughs> uh, when you're staking, wish. when you're staking, it's like having a, a checking your savings account and trying to receive inf interest from the main pool that you're in. But the validator itself is essentially like, for lack of a better analogy, the bank, you know, who, whoever is processing and making sure that the network is stable so that people can receive staking rewards. The validators are going to be fine. The stakers, they will have to wait until the upgrade. Have I gotten that all correct? Yes, yeah, you got it. All righty then, moving right along. One more. No, I'm sorry. One, two. Oh, okay. Two three more. more. We're down to our last three. We're down to our last oh. three. It's fine. When withdrawals are enabled, stakers will exit all at once. Oh, this is interesting, like reverse run on the bank sort of one. Mm. According to Ethereum, false. Validator exits are rate limited for security reasons. So this essentially means that the Ethereum network has thought ahead mm -hmm. with human psychology 
And they know that in case there's any sort of nervousness or anxiety around the merge or the network is going to go through hiccups, which it probably will relax people. It's a new technology. They're still working out the bugs. They have made it so that everyone cannot just abandon the network all at once. Did I get that right, Kalichi? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, uh, it's going to, it's not, it's not going to be possible. Like you said, they've, they've already thought about that problem. And I think uh, there's, there's over like 10 million ETH like uh, staked. Uh, and uh, the, I think it's like four, uh, 43,000 uh, will be uh, like made liquid, you know, per day. So that's the limit. That's the highest that you can, that that's going to be allowed. So that would take approximately 200 plus days for all the ETH, you know, to be withdrawn, uh, to, to be withdrawn um, immediately. So it's not something that's just going to happen immediately. The limit's set. And plus there's like this game theory and this gamification about it to where the more people leave, the, the higher the APY is going to be, right? So if you leave, there's going to be an incentive to actually bring more ETH in the network to stake it because the, the APYs will be higher. So that's, that's, it's not, it's not going to, people are not just going to leave and just abandon the network. The APY will be too attractive for people not to like stake uh, E. Fascinating. And I'm definitely going to want Matt's input on our next misconception here. Yours too, Kalichi, but definitely Matt's. A misconception, the staking APR is expected to triple after the merge. False. More up-to-date estimations predict closer to a 50% increase in APR post-merge, not a 200% increase. That is, now I think I'm mixing up APY and APR right here. So Kalichi, can you help us out here real quick before I get Matt's opinion on, so sorry, no tripling. Yeah, it's not gonna, yeah, it's, um... <clears throat> First of all, like the um, the the increase the increase that people keep talking about is not gonna um, is is gonna come as a result of the the uh, ETH you know being taken away from the miners to the validators. It's not gonna come as a like a like an increase in 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 the emission of ETH, right? It's still ETH is gonna uh, the emission is actually gonna decrease, like we talked about in the last episode. Um, but you know the APY will be will actually increase from like you know three point five percent to seven percent, so hence the fifty percent increase. Um, I don't know where that number came from, where people thought it was going to increase by two hundred percent. I'm not I'm not aware of that. I just knew that it was going to increase from like four percent to like seven percent. Uh, so, so the money printer will not be going burr with Ethereum. It will be wearing a coat and drinking hot chocolate. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Kalichi? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not going to go burst. It's just going to the money is going to be transferred from the miners to the validators. Interesting. Matt, thoughts? Better? Worse? I, Sometimes it's, it's fun to go burr. <laughs> it is fun to go burr. Uh, as long as costs are kept down and there's a level of transparency, I really don't have much of an opinion on it. Anytime you hear APRs or APYs going up and anybody with student loan debt can tell you, you or anybody who owns a car, when you hear those phrases and you hear increase, um, you have the urge to blank a brick, as you would say colloquially. Um, 
So glad that's not happening. Especially if gas <laughs> gas fees aren't coming down. I'm I sorry, mean, Koichi. so long as so long as the value of Ethereum increases, uh, uh, it's it's higher than the U.S. dollar or you know you know the currency. It's the 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 seven percent AP APY like um, annual percent in yield should be good, especially if inflation is able to go down below like seven percent. At that point, you're actually making profit by just you know getting ETH in exchange for fiat. Uh, and all the hassle you're going through to like secure the network. So seven percent is great. And I always, I've always thought that AP, AP. Again, I may be completely wrong. I've always used APR as kind of like interest that you have to pay. I always think about APY as yield that you receive. I mean, I may be completely wrong about this, but that's how I, I just make it simple that way. But I may be wrong. Well, Kalechi, you've never been wrong before. I don't want to start now. I know. <laughs> I'm just going to say you're right. Uh, by the way, not financial advice. <laughs> um, gentlemen, we have come to our last misconception. Oh, this is a good one to get everybody's comments on. So we've been talking about this Y2K event, this merge, not the purge. The purge we discussed in the first episode is me and frozen burritos. No, the merge hmm. will go off fine. It will more than likely go off fine. Or guess what? It won't happen at all. Uh, hot tip. Mm -hmm. But the misconception is the merge will result in downtime of the chain. False. The merge upgrade is designed to transition the chain to proof of stake with zero downtime. Now, the reason why I think people have this misconception is because so many exchanges, Bitmart right. included, are pausing withdrawals, deposits. They're essentially closing down their ETH business for a couple of days until they get word from the foundation that everything is good. But if you've looked into the back end about how the Ethereum mainnet chain is transitioning to proof of stake, it's actually kind of interesting. You may have heard the term beacon chain thrown around. Now, what is the beacon chain? It's a small little dog named Beacon that has a fuzzy little collar and it's been going all around the internet. Mm -hmm. I'm kidding. It's the main chain that is supposed to be proof of stake. And actually the way the developers my understanding knew that they would transition successfully to chains is they had all these test chains that they have continually kept merging together until finally, guess what? The test chain becomes the main chain and the main chain is proof of stake, baby. Yeah. Unfortunately for Chandler Gao or any of the East POW um, people out there who want it to remain proof of work. So gentlemen, Matt and then Kalechi or Kalechi and then Matt, whoever wants to go up. What do you think about all the FUD about people saying the chain's going to go down? The chain's going to go down. Oh, dear Lord, if the chain goes down, I'm so glad that I mm -hmm. bought that value box of diapers at Target. I mean, it's it's they these are like very smart people. I mean, they've made sure from the very beginning when this is going to happen that there's zero downtime to the network because that would like just everybody's just going to lose their minds. Um, but I think the reason why exchanges are like pausing, like withdrawals or deposits is because they just want to secure their, their the funds of people and sure. just to make sure everything like, you know, is completely, um, you know, upgraded successfully to proof of stake. And then you release it just, just to be on the safe side. Cause if something happens and people lose all their money or, you know, then they're going to be liable. The, the exchange they have to be liable for that. So they just want to be on the safe side. 
but Ethereum, they promised, you know, again, just going by their word that there will be no issues going from the beacon chain to the, you know, going to the, the main proof of stake network. Yeah, I think it's just reactionism to what's going on and people just trying to find reasons to pull coals in it. If you have a level of trust in the technology, in the people behind it, but there's always going to be inherent skepticism when it's something you don't like or there's a change. Like, nah, now you see how it feels is basically kind of how I, I, I view it from my side. Right. Yeah, it was just probably fun. a little bit rash of me to go deep into the Colorado wilderness and build a bunker, but I'm not taking any chances, gentlemen. Um, I'm going to ride out this merge and hopefully not have to purge in that bunker. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding, guys. It'll, it'll go off fine. It, it, I don't, I'm, you know, it, it's, it's ETH, right? Okay. It's ETH. Vitalik, I think, has got it covered. I think that's going to wrap it up here, Matt. If you want to outro us here, I will just say uh, my quick comments that, Thank you, everybody, for listening to this series. It's such a pleasure to always talk with Kalichi Ebay, who's definitely more of an NFT to gen and a little bit better on the Ethereum stuff than I am. I'm continually kind of learning from him, and I had to go through this stuff to learn. Hopefully, you have also been able to kind of expand your knowledge from this. Please listen to my podcast, Crypto Conversations. Please listen to my colleague, Matt Ryan's podcast. NFT 101. And if you're Googling BitMart or if you're doing anything with search engine optimization and it comes up nice, clean, and fresh, just know that that was Kalichi eBay. Matt, all to you. On that note, we'll see you next week. This has been the BitMart Brain Trust. And now for the part that everybody loves Nathan, reading all the legal, legal stuff. Yeah. See you next week. I'm a lawyer. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Hello to everybody out there in crypto land. Did you enjoy that conversation? I know that I did. It's always interesting to learn more about crypto projects, NFTs, and what is going on in this very unique industry. But now we've got to get some legal stuff out of the way, all right? It's just the way that it is. So I wanted to let you know that all opinions and actions expressed and undertaken by the hosts and guests are individual opinions and actions and do not reflect the views and actions of Bitmark. Bitmart does not guarantee the accuracy, applicability, reliability, integrity, performance, completeness, or appropriateness of this content. The value of digital currencies can go up or down, and there can be a substantial risk in buying, selling, holding, or investing in digital currencies. You should carefully consider whether trading or holding digital currencies is suitable for you based on your personal investment objectives, financial circumstances, and risk tolerance. Bitmart does not provide investment, tax, or legal advice. Use of BitMart services is entirely at your own risk.